I want to share a message with you this morning that follows up last week's message. I'm taken by this passage of Scripture, and I want to just expand on it for you. And so our text is found in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 11. As Hezekiah was going to reform Judah to bring it back to a right standing with God, it was on the precipice of falling into disrepair and total takeover by Babylon. God would restrain from that if they would reform. And Hezekiah brought this forth that we would be ministers to him and to be his ministers. And so our text is found in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 11. So let me take you there. I'm going to have to ask you to switch them. This battery's dead. So, Our text is found in 2 Chronicles 29. And if you'll remember, this is what Hezekiah said. My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers and to make offerings to him. So God is calling Israel, or Judah, if you will, to this. Hezekiah is saying, my sons. Now, that's a title. To be sons of God is to belong to the Lord. It's not a gender thing. Just as men are bride of Christ, so men and women are sons of God. And he's calling us to take our position. Now, what I want you to understand in this is that everything written in the Old Testament was written for us today. That's hard to believe, but what I want you to understand is this, that before time began, God had a plan. And the Word of God says that it was predestined that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, that there would be a time when God would bring forth Messiah and all nations would come unto God through Jesus Christ. That was a predestined, planned age that God had planned, and that's the age we're in. That's exciting to live in. And so everything that's in the Old Testament was written for us for this time. It was written in the physical realm into using a nation that was going to demonstrate and act out physically what God was going to accomplish spiritually. How many of you remember in Sunday school where you had that little flannel graph chart? You know, there's a little background and the teacher would take this little figure out and put it in the... Well, that's Israel. Israel was the flanograph, if you will. And what God did with them was to show us everything he had planned to do with us, but in the spirit realm, and for the sake of saving the nations. We're the fulfillment of his promise to be a blessing to all nations. Let me prove that out to you. So what Hezekiah was wanting to do to reform Israel is something that God wants to do to reform his church. And I want to show that to you. First of all, let me show you in Corinthians it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instructions on whom the end of the ages has come. Do you see what that's saying? It's saying that that church that's here at the end of the ages, that's us. Look, at if you don't believe we're at the end of the ages, Peter said this on the day of Pentecost, this is that which Joel spoke of, and this is the end of the age. So from Pentecost till the return of Christ, we're in the end of the ages, okay? And we're 2,000 years closer to the coming of Jesus, so I think we're at near the end of the ages. 
But he said that all this was done as an example, right? These things happened to them as an example and were written down for whom? Us. So what Hezekiah wrote and did with Judah at that time to reform them was for a reformation for them, but as an example of what God wants to do with his church and with us. It was written for us. Can you imagine that? You sitting here today, God had you in mind. This is for you. This age, this period, God has something for you. In fact, let's go on. Let's look at the next verse. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Paul is saying everything in the Old Testament was written down as an instruction and an illustration for us. You're important. You really are important because this is the time where God's not just working with Israel. You see, he was prepping the church. He was working with Israel, one nation, one people, working with them, working all these illustrations out so that when it was done, the book would be written and it would be opened by the church. And the church would perform everything that he had illustrated in Israel, but now in the spirit realm and on the, on the, on the realm of the entire nations, the world, on a global effort. Isn't that awesome? You're the light of the world. You're the fulfillment of Israel. That's amazing. All this written for you. So, you know, there's some people who say, I don't read the Old Testament. What? Why not? That's your instruction book. What do you think the apostles preached out of? They used everything in reference from the Old Testament to this age written down for us so that you would have hope that an encouragement through the scriptures. Psalm 102 verse 18 said this, let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. That's fulfilled today. Isn't that exciting? You could have been created in the 1700s. You could have been made in the 500s. You could have been made in BC. But he said, no, I want you here now today. That's amazing to me. There's a job for us to do. All of this was written down for a generation and a people not yet created, but you're created. Here is the day. Here is the hour. We need to preach to the nations. We need to represent the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you agree? And so that's what's happening here. That's why we're looking at what Hezekiah was doing to reform Israel. And we can learn something from that experience for our experience. It's an instruction manual on how to bring reformation to the church. If you'll remember, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to the teaching. It's on the website and you can go to it. But it goes into much more detail as to what he did and how he brought reformation to Judah and he had them open up the tabernacle doors. It's really based on the priests and the Levites working in the temple of God to restore God's presence back to the heart of Judah. And so the Levites and the priests are the people who mediate for God. And so what Hezekiah says to them is this, neglect not your calling. And he says, now. Do not now neglect your calling. You know, now makes it a present tense issue. And I believe that's for us today. If there's any time where the church must not neglect its duty, it's now. Would you agree? God is looking for a people to stand in the gap, to intercede, and to, to change the face of this nation and the world. That's His church 
That's what he's put, salt and light in the earth to have an outcome for his kingdom. But we're neglecting that work. I have to say it. We're neglecting that work. And so Hezekiah told the priests, you've neglected the house of God. Don't neglect this moment. Don't neglect this hour. He says this, do not neglect this hour for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence. That's us. For our generation, for this hour, you've been chosen to stand in this generation. If you don't believe it, let me ask you one question. Why is it that there are millions around this nation that don't know the Lord, but you do? What makes you so special? How is it that we could go out in this city and there are tens of thousands of people who do not know the Lord, don't want to know the Lord, but you're sitting in church today because you love God and you want to serve Him? How did that happen? He chose you and you responded. What a unique thing. What an amazing calling. What a wonderful thing. Don't neglect this calling. And so we've got to get the temple back in order. Remember it was filled with idolatry. They had to clean it out. They had to consecrate themselves and then they had to offer sacrifice so that they could restore the work of the church. You see, let me show you who you are. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's you. That's a New Testament verse. That's the church. And what he's saying as we look to Hezekiah and how he's reforming the temple and the priesthood, God is calling his church to be reformed. He's saying this, you're a chosen race. You're the royal priesthood now. In this age, everyone who belongs to the body of Christ is a priest, is a king, is a prophet for the kingdom of God. You are a royal priesthood. So don't neglect your duty. Be that priest. Mediate on behalf of the kingdom. He says that you're to be a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Jesus possesses you. He owns you. He sealed you with his Holy Spirit. You're marked by him and you belong to him. And he says, why? So that you would proclaim what? The excellencies of him. The church, it was the job of the priests and the Levites to offer praise and worship unto God, to extol all his virtues. It's the job of the church to declare who Jesus Christ is, that there's no name under heaven which men can be saved except for Jesus Christ. This wonderful grace, this great demonstration of his love, that's what we're supposed to be declaring. That's your ministry. What a wonderful ministry. Brag on Jesus. What a ministry. Isn't that wonderful? Point people to the excellencies of Christ because he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, the priests of Hezekiah's day, they got to see that glorious light, that Shekinah. You remember the cloud over the tabernacle of Moses. It was a brilliant, radiant cloud glowing. It was God's Shekinah presence. The kabod, the weight of his presence and glory was there for people to see and to feel. It was a glorious light. At night when they're walking through the desert, it illuminated their path. In the day, it was a cloud that covered them from the heat of the sun. This same glory now, it's not some cloud or vapor. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's now in us dwelling. That's tremendous. And that's our job. That's what we're to do. 
And he says, what I want you to do is don't neglect this, but stand in my presence. You've been chosen to stand in his presence. That's amazing. Right now, you're in the presence of God. And it's not because you're in a church. If you belong to the body of Jesus Christ, if you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you look to the cross for your salvation, he has cleansed you from sin and his spirit of holiness now dwells in you. You've been sealed by his Holy Spirit. You're his possession. And so at all times, you stand in the presence of God. As Christians, we forget about that. As Christians, what we think is, well, I do when I go to church. I stand there. And then when we're done, I sit down. We, we think, well, we stand in the presence of God when we pray, when we go to prayer meetings. Sunday mornings, I stand in the presence of God. And Wednesday nights, every now and then when I can make it, I stand in the presence of God. No, you don't understand. As a believer, you stand in the presence of God at all times because He stands in you. He dwells in you richly by His Holy Spirit. You are in the presence of Christ at all times. Remember what you said yesterday? That was in the presence of Christ. What you watch on TV, you're in the presence of Christ watching. Whatever you say, whatever you do, wherever you go, you are in the presence of Christ at all times. The Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's the place of authority. And so, brothers and sisters, you don't have to go to a meeting to be in the meeting. He says, where two or more of you are gathered, I'm in your midst. But you know what? Even individually, he's in your midst. He's in you, and you stand before him. At all times, you're in the presence of God. You don't have to wait till you feel something to pray. In fact, what we've done with prayer is a bit of a shame. We've made prayer an event. When it is not an event, it's a place of being. To pray ceasingly, without ceasing, to pray at all times is to just be constantly in fellowship with God. You stand before Him at all time. Every thought should pass through Him, for Him, and unto Him. And that is praying. And God would have us do this. Look at Ephesians 3, 11 and 12. It says this. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We've got access to Christ at all times. It's not because you're so wonderful and you did such a good job last week. It's because of what Christ did on the cross. Because of what he did on the cross, you have instant and continual access to God. You have confidence to be in his presence. Now, when we lack confidence, it's because we've done something to offend him. But guess what? You've never left his presence. That blood covers you, even in your sin. Isn't that amazing? Because, I mean, if he pulled back his presence, uh, uh, even when you sin, it would be... Constantly. If you could hear it in a church service, it'd be going. But because of what Christ did, his presence abides over us, in us, dwelling in us, so you can have confidence. How many of you know you failed God, but confidently you go to him in repentance and say, Oh man, Lord, forgive me? And that's the confidence you have, it's by his blood. And so we are always in his presence. Always in standing with him. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. See, the writer of Hebrews is referencing the tabernacle. 
And this takes us back to our text with Hezekiah, who needed to clean that place up. But you see, in the temple of God, patterned after the tabernacle of Moses, was the outer court where the sacrifice was given, then the holy place where the priests offered the the incense and lit the candles and had the table of showbread. And then there was the holy of holies, the inner sanctum, where the Ark of the Covenant was and the presence and glory of God abided in that place. And no man could go in there except the priests who would offer sacrifice for themselves, clean themselves at the water laver, and go into the holy place being sanctified unto God. But only one of the priests, once a year, could go into the holy of holies presence, but only by the blood of the Lamb. And he would then leave in fear of his life. But we have instant access not into a building made of brick and mortar or sewn and hemmed and woven by fabric, All of that was an imitation, an illustration for this age for you to recognize you have direct access to God. Jesus changed this thing and shifted it when the Word became flesh, walked among us, went to that cross, taking our sins upon Him, and God hung a new curtain between heaven and earth. The new curtain that he hung that separates the holy presence of God and man is not a piece of fabric, but literally the flesh of Jesus Christ. As soon as Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost and died, the curtain or the veil in the temple was torn in two. That thing was obsolete and done. You don't need the illustration anymore when you've got the reality in your presence. God ripped open the opening so that sinful man could now be in his presence because of the blood of the Lamb of God that was perfect in atonement. So you and I should not neglect the ability to stand in the presence of God at all times. Isn't that amazing? We stand in his presence. That should direct our paths. That should direct our lives. We're seated in heavenly places. We don't need a church building to be the church. It's nice. We're renovating it. It's nice to have a nice church building. Thank God for that. Maybe a day when we don't have one, but that's not going to stop the church. We don't need buildings for the church. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the body of Christ, and now you're a priest who uh, demonstrates and manifests the very presence of God to this nation, to a people. That's awesome, isn't it? That's who you are. So don't neglect it. Stand and do your work before the Lord. Now, let me help you understand what's going on here with Hezekiah. Uh, in Second Chronicles 25, I'm sorry, 29, later on in the verse, after he had them clean out the temple, after they consecrated themselves, Then they're going to offer sacrifice. It says in verse 25, they do this. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres or stringed instruments according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with their trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also, and the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel, the whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. 
Praise and worship with the sacrifice. So what he did was he was bringing back to the temple something King David originated. And what King David originated took place in David's tabernacle. You've heard of Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness, right? God gave Moses that tabernacle as an illustration of heaven. It was then David wanted to build a new one. In fact, uh, Nathan the prophet said, great idea, till they prayed on it, and then the Lord said, no, you have to have your son build the new temple. But David had the heart of worship, and he knew something was needed. So he brought the Ark of the Covenant to the presence of his temple in Zion, or Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah is wanting to restore the Davidic worship that David brought, but now he wants to bring it into his day and age to reform the temple worship. Let me help you understand what the tabernacle of David was. The the tabernacle of Moses was in Gibeah, and they were offering sacrifices and offering animal sacrifices down there. Saul basically ignored it. He ended up going to a witch instead of going before the Lord. How many of you remember that? And he basically ignored it. But when King David came on the scene, he knew that he needed the presence of God with him. And he loved the presence of God. He, he loved to sing to the Lord. He was, he was a musician and a poet, and, and he loved that presence of God. God began, be, began to download to him something that was going to be prophetic and important for the church age. God said, I need you to do something, David. He probably didn't say it like this. Maybe he said it in a much better way, I'm sure. But he said, look, Dave, I need you to do this. I need you to do this tabernacle of David because it's going to model what I'm going to accomplish through my church. And so he he spoke to Gad, who was his prophetic visionary. He spoke to Nathan the prophet, and he spoke to David. And they collaborated and got the understanding of what God wanted to do at this time. So he went down to Gibeah and he took the Ark of the Covenant, just the Ark, out of the tabernacle of Moses. Now that's a dangerous thing. How many of you know that? That's the presence of God. That's where God said he was going to abide. So David took it out. He didn't do enough research. Uh, He took it out of there and started having a parade. We're bringing the presence of God back. That was Fred Flintstone, but I'm sure he had something to do with it. And and he's bringing it back, and they put it on an ox cart, and David's dancing, we're having a party, the ark is coming. And so it's coming, and they're singing, and that's, yay, yay, yay. And the ox carrying the cart stumble, and and Uzzah, uh, uh, he goes to make sure that the the ark doesn't fall. He touches it, and he's dead. That'll kill a party every time. (laughs) David said, I'm out of here, forget this. They left. What are we going to do with the ark? Put it in Obed-Edom's house. That guy over there that lives over there. That's a whole other story. It's kind of fun, but we'll leave that alone for now. They had to go back. Gad the seer, Nathan the prophet, David, they get back and they understand what God means. You know what? You can bring out the ark of the covenant, but you still have to have the respect. You know, with grace, the church has brought out the presence of God, but we've lost the respect and holiness for who God is. We've made Jesus our friend. He's a surfer dude. He's everybody's best buddy. He's this and that, but we've forgotten who he is. He is the Lord of glory. 
and we've made so much simplicity out of him and made him such a good old boy that we've forgotten who he is in the book of Revelation, that when you see him, you will fall flat on your face for the fire in his eyes, the sword coming out of his mouth, and the burning bronze of feet. This is the Lord. David remembered that and understood the respect for this ark, but he brought it out, and what he did is he put a tent up on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and he brought the ark or the presence of God out into the open for everyone to see. For some time, up to 33 years, up to 40 years, this ark was in the open for all of Israel to see it openly. The sacrifices were still being done down at, in Gibeah at the tabernacle of Moses, but he brought a new sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. There were 38,000 Levites who ministered at the tabernacle of Moses. David took 4,000 of them and began to train them in music and percussion and instruments and trumpets and singers, all so that they would 24-7 bring worship and praise to God and give thanksgiving to Him. You know, when God accomplishes something, He doesn't need any more of what He did. He needs something else. Christ is the perfect sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice we need, but there's one sacrifice He wants, and that's praise. That's the fruit of our lips. And so Hezekiah did that. He understood what David was doing, and he restored that back to the temple. He told the priests, get out your music, get out your horns, get out the drums, start singing and prophesying. If you look at the list that David set up of those who ministered through music and so forth, many of them were prophets and seers. So that where there's a ministry of praise and worship, when there's a ministry that's flowing unto thanksgiving and uh, exhortation of who God is, prophetic gifts flow. God begins to open the veil of heaven and a window from heaven is open. What do you do out of windows? You can see. When he opens a window in heaven, guess what you can see? The things of heaven. How are we going to do what God does in heaven on earth unless we see into heaven and call them forth? You see, that place of praise and worship that David created was something that opened the windows of heaven for those years of the tabernacle of David. And so Hezekiah did this for uh, the, uh, the temple to when they brought the sacrifice, the worship began, the songs began, and temple worship was back in the house of God. Now all of this, again, an example as Paul tells us for us today. In Amos chapter 9, 60 years before Hezekiah did this rebuilding of the temple, it says this, the prophet Amos said, In that day I will raise up the booth or the tabernacle of David that's fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. How many of you know Hezekiah thought that's what I'm doing? I'm rebuilding this. So get all the musicians back together. Let's clean this thing out. Let's get reoriented. Let's get back to the temple worship and the glory of God in this place. And so he did that. But what he didn't realize is God had a more long-range plan for this. That's what the prophet Amos says. But how many of you know, once Christ offered the perfect sacrifice and that he then brought cleansing for sin, that he opened up the gospel to all nations. 
And so the disciples are filled with God's Spirit. They begin preaching. They go out, and all of a sudden, it's not just Jews that are getting saved, but now you've got Romans and Samaritans and, and Cretans and all sorts of people coming to the knowledge of Christ. They go, what's going on here? I don't know. Let's get a meeting together in Jerusalem. So in Acts 15, they all come together and say, what's going on? And in that meeting, James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, stands up and he quotes the book of Amos about David's tabernacle. And he says this, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. They said, this is that. This is that. The church is the tabernacle of David. This is the hour when the presence of God is now open to all flesh, all people, all nations. That's us. That's what Hezekiah was doing is what the church was made to do. We're to be that voice. What Israel did, what King David did was an illustration of what the church was going to be. You see, now, when he brought the presence of the ark into the open of all the people, that was a picture of Christ bringing salvation to all nations. And who's the vehicle to bring that message? We are. We're that fallen tabernacle. We're the tent of David. It's fallen, but he said, I'm going to rebuild it so that the remnant of mankind and the Gentiles will come in to the kingdom of God. We're in that age, brothers and sisters. We're those who are calling the nation back to God. This worship that Hezekiah had that David originated was 24-7. It was praise and thanksgiving. It was exaltation and honor to God 24-7, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Each of the, the priests and Levites had a time slot that they were to present themselves to the Lord. Now, how many know, oh, if we could just get everybody to pray and get everybody in the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But you know what? God's greater than that. It's not about the building. We don't need that. We've got the temple in every believer. And I want you to know that what he did by opening salvation up and putting his spirit in every believer, we all are this tabernacle of David, and we're all Levites and priests to present this worship to God 24-7. Listen, this, this is too cool. That's why God made the, the earth round, and that's why it spins, so that this day and this age, the church could offer endless praise 24-7. Pastor, you really believe it's round because of this? Look, just get past that illustration. Get this. Look, at, we're, we're, it's 12.43 here in Michigan right now. We're offering an hour worth of praise. But you know with the time zone difference uh, over in Chicago, right? When we're done, the church is going to start up again. And you go a little more to the west, and when they're done, the churches keep going. And they meet together and begin to worship till you get all the way to California. And don't forget about South America and, and Mexico and Ecuador and all that. They're all down there, and they're just all worshiping God, and it's moving in its phases. And by the time it's nighttime here over in China, the church is worshiping God. God and praising him and Russia then goes and takes the next place. Every nation, every hour, every moment, there's praise coming from this planet. The tabernacle of David is worshiping God 24-7, seven days a week till the Gentiles come in. 
Now, you don't have to just do this on Sundays. You can enter in any time you want. It might be 3 in the morning. Wake up and start worshiping with the Chinese people. You'll enter into praise with what's happening around the world. It's 2 in the afternoon. Start worshiping. I don't know. Maybe you'll speak in tongues like some guy from uh, Brazil. I don't know. But you see, you don't have to wait for an hour or a moment. You're in the presence of God 24-7. Every time you stand, you offer praise. You're in the midst of God. You stand in Him. He doesn't leave and go. You don't go and leave. He's in you. You're the church. You're the tabernacle. And this praise is happening all the time. This is what He was talking about. And that is necessary. So what we have to do is offer the praise. Don't neglect your position in the church. Could you imagine if we could step back into the heavenlies and hear that praise as the earth turns, right? You hear what's going on? You see, in the southern hemisphere, they're on fire for Jesus. It's nutso. It's crazy. South America is on fire for Christ. Africa is on fire for Christ. More souls being saved every minute, every hour. It's, it's outrageous. It's the west and the northern hemisphere that's like dull. Could you imagine if you hear this praise, the earth's turning, you hear this, hallelujah, and it's going around, and now it's time for America. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. What happened? We're distracted. We're really more busy about our jobs and how much money we can get and a bigger car, and instead of praising him, we're asking him for more stuff, really. I don't want that to be that. It says that we are called to minister to him. And so what Hezekiah said is he said, don't neglect your positioning. You've been chosen to stand in his presence to do what? To minister to him. Let me show you you what happened on the day of Pentecost. We'll start at the very beginning. All right? And this is what the church is to do. It's to extol the virtues of God. It's to just declare him. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, Day of Pentecost, right? We Pentecostals love this. This is our story. And so they're in the upper room and they're seeking God. They don't know what to expect. It's the day of Pentecost. Jesus already ascended. And then they hear this mighty rushing wind. That would be cool. I would like that. And then it blows in, right? It blows in. And then all of a sudden you got this fire crackling over their head. Tongues of fire. You're looking at, whoa, Peter, look, whoa, and it's happening, and there's fire, and all of a sudden, they bust out speaking in all the known dialects, languages, and, and even unknown tongues of that day, and they were in a locked room, and they bust out of the locked room. They can't stay there. They're going out. Why? 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 They're the tabernacle of David. You take this glory out into the streets. You take it to the nations. That's, they were driven out into the streets, and they are praising God, and they're speaking in languages and tongues for all the people there. Now, all the people there are Jews who are from all the different areas because they have to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So they speak Arabic, they speak uh, Greek, uh, Lebanese, uh, Irish, whatever. Uh, and, and they're there, and they're, they're all speaking. And, and their response is this, through him, oh no, there it is, we hear them telling in our own tongues what? Mighty works of God. Wait a minute, what are they doing on Pentecost? They're just proclaiming how awesome God is. Can I ask you, what is the greatest work God has ever done? Jesus Christ dying on the cross. 
They're going out there proclaiming God, proclaiming God, proclaiming God. They're being the tabernacle of David. When the Spirit busts loose, that's what we do. We offer praise to God. We minister to Him. Look at, and, and so what I want you to understand now is what the value of worship is. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up what? A sacrifice of praise to God. And what is a sacrifice of praise? The fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Fruit of lips. Now, what are fruit of lips? Canker sores. No. What's the fruit of lips? Words. There's, there's already a sacrifice for sin. There's nothing you can offer. You can't kill a bull or an animal or a lamb. None of that means anything. But there's one sacrifice God wants. What? A thought now and then. He just wants you to think about him now and then. Is this what this verse says? Give a nice thought to Jesus. No, it's very specific in what it says you're to offer. The fruit of your lips. The fruit of your lips, which is what? Words. 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 That's what the worship is. That's what it means to minister unto God, is to offer words. To offer words. Can I tell you how powerful words are? Take a look at this. Hey, did you do that? Revelation 8.4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. This is, an, uh, this is a, a vision of what's happening in heaven. And it says that an angel is holding a censer, a bowl of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. So your prayers are captured in heaven. What you declare goes out and into heaven. It's the incense that's burning before God. And there's coming a time when he's going to take that incense. And what's he going to do with it? He's going to throw it to the earth and it's going to break all things loose. The power of prayer has the power to break things loose in the heavenlies and on the earth. There's coming a day. Some of your prayers are in that, in that sensor. All your prayers are in that sensor. All of them. And there's prayers that haven't been answered yet, but there's a day when every prayer will be answered. And it's going to do some damage. It's going to do some... There's going to be a final vindication. And there's going to be an answer to everyone's prayer. And it's going to bust loose. I want to take you, before I close, I want to take you into the reason why we have to offer up praise to God, why we need to speak, and so that as we look to Him and minister unto Him, we become ministers to others. As we're that tabernacle of David, I want you to understand something. So I want to take you into quantum physics right now, if I can. I don't know a thing about quantum physics, but I've been doing some reading and studying, and there's some really cool stuff. Phil Mason wrote a book called Quantum Glory. And basically, quantum physics goes into the depth of what makes everything. Um, uh, physics just tells us what is in general how things move and act. But quantum physics goes into the depth uh, of subatomic matter uh, of the quantum world. And basically, the bottom line is this. Everything is made and operates through waves, sound waves. Even light and sound are basically wave signals. In fact, if you look at the physical universe, it's made of waves. That's how everything operates. In fact, I think God said, it says, in the beginning, God what? Spoke. He said, let there be light. The minute God uttered voice, he uttered the word. Doesn't it say that all things were created by Christ, through Christ, 
who is the Word. As soon as the Word manifest and he spoke, physical existence came into being. And so in the realm of quantum physics, vibration, sound, is the one thing that passes from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. There's only one thing that moves from the heavenly realm than the physical realm. It is sound wave and light waves. And so, brothers and sisters, it is essential for us to speak the fruit of our lips. Animals sing, birdies chirp. That's nice. That's all good. But you have intent and you have purpose in what you say and that you declare into this earth realm. How many of you know the devil knows this? The one who owns the language is the one who rules the world. Let me ask you, who owns advertising? Who owns the movies? Who owns theater? Who owns music? Who's using sound waves to propagate uh, all the message of this world? It's the enemy. Where's the church? Now, you've got a built-in system right here, the fruit of our lips. And what we need to do is begin declaring the works of God. Uh, Let me show you something. We've got the Ephesians verse here somewhere. Uh, Hmm. Oh yeah, I'll just read it to you. Ephesians 6.12 We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in this present darkness. So our war is with whom? Devil and his spirits, right? 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 Are they physical? No. So what are you going to do? Punch him? How do you work with the enemy? How do you fight against the enemy? Yeah, yeah. You got to speak. You got to worship God. You got to make declaration. You got to bind him. We have weapons of our warfare. What are those weapons? Somebody, oh, it's a Bible. I have a Bible. Good. Throw your Bible at a devil. See what that does. It can't be physical. It's got to be spiritual. Something spiritual in you has to combat the spirit realm. There's only one thing that comes out of you that transcends the physical into the spiritual, and that's your mouth, your words, and your voice. Now, if the devil can cause the church to shut up, he can get a lot more done. Illustration, the United States of America. Look at our church. We, we, we don't respond to anything. But we... Uh, we're going to change this law. Oh, okay, okay. We're going to do this. Uh, okay. And you can't do that. Okay. This is the church in America, 2015. Where is the church? When will it speak up? And it's not flesh and blood. Our argument isn't with these people who are trapped in sin. They're just doing what they know what to do, right? Our argument isn't with them. It's in the heavenlies. But we've shut up. We don't say anything. Because we're depressed. We're not drawing from what's in here. Let me, let, me, let me close with this, okay? This psalm. I want you to, let me read to you Psalm 19. It talks about the heavenlies, but I believe what's in the heavenlies is an illustration of what he wants coming out of us. And he says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim his handiwork. Now, don't you think his people should do that? But see, creation does it because he made it, and creation responds to God, and it just, it just glows and glories in who he is, and it shows it, and it says it 24-7, never stop. The only part of God's creation that stopped giving him praise was whom? Us. 
Everything else is still giving him praise. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Did you know that there are sound waves and that there is, there is a, a, a key in which all things hum and vibrate? Did you know this? I think it's D flat. Uh, really, uh, some guy did that and he did a song. What was his name? It doesn't matter. Anyways, and he did music with whales and dolphins and fish and all that. Uh, so it's real esoteric and New Agers are all about it. But anyways, there's this whole humming and this whole vibration that's going on in all of creation, singing a song to whom? God! How could we stop singing? Day to day it pours out speech. Night to night it reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, it speaks everywhere at all times. No matter where you go, the, the vibration and the speech of creation is glorifying God. What about his church? What about his people? Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens in its circuit to the end of them. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now you say, oh, well, that's just an illustration of the solar system and its circular system. Yes, it is. That's genius. That's wonderful. He made it. But it has a greater impact. It's really that worship that's 24-7 that illustrates how it should be nonstop and that all of creation is doing this and shouldn't we. Hezekiah said, if we're going to restore the worship of Judah, we've got to go back to praising, worshiping God 24-7. There's got to be the sacrifice, but there's got to be the sacrifice of praise. And for the church today, if we're ever going to revive the church in America or the church globally, we have got to begin speaking against the devil and honoring the Lord. You need to be engaged in worship to God, standing in His presence at all times, working at your post for this hour for your location. Amen? If you'll receive that, say amen this morning. Amen. Stand with me. Hallelujah.